You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hello people, how are you doing? Welcome to episode 149 of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. My name is Matt Phillips, creator of runchatlive.com. And as always, this episode is being recorded live on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel um, at eight o'clock. Um, and uh, it's on Tuesdays normally, as it is at the moment. But just to warn you that um, the episodes uh, next week, for example, is going to be on a Wednesday. OK, so I've been asked just to remind some people now, if you are going to come and join us live the next Wednesday when we're with special guest Benoit Matthew, Function to Fitness, um, he's going to be talking about treatment for groin injuries. That's next Wednesday. OK, so there's the reminder. I've got three emails saying, Matt, please remind us because we, we need to know these things. So thank you for reminding me to remind you. There you go. And then the week after that, we're back to the Tuesday on May the 30th, where my guest will be Jenny Bowell of Bowell Education who will be focusing on diastasis recti, abdominal separation, like we talked last week with uh, Dr. Sarah Rollins. Um, talking of Dr. Sarah Rollins, um, amazing episode. We've had um, Dr. Sarah Rollins on the show before, ex-Army GP and now consultant in sport, exercise and musculoskeletal medicine for the Ministry of Defence. Um, and again, it was I was worried that I was bigging it up too much because the last time she was on the show, she gave this fantastic abdominal breakdown um, of the hip or buttock it was buttocks pain and uh, this time it was just equally as brilliant um, if you're into anatomy you want to hear somebody just telling you all about the anatomy of the um, anterior abdominal wall then yeah check out uh, the episode uh, last week with dr sarah rollins you can listen to it obviously on all popular podcast apps or i would recommend you probably pop along to youtube and watch the visual because Sarah is very much with the hands and the few times she's talking about describing stuff and directions of, of obliques and things. So it's, it's probably one to watch on YouTube if you, if you like uh, understanding the anatomy. So tonight in part two of this month's focus on the abdomen and groin, I'm absolutely delighted to bring you Dr. Dora Papadopoulou, who's uh, again a GMC specialist, registered trauma and orthopedics consultant for sports exercise and MSK in um, what I've been informed used to be called Headley Court, um, but now um, I'm glad I've been updated. I'm educating myself. It's now Stamford Hall. Um, absolutely. I mean, all my guests are incredible. I'm so, I love it when I get to meet and bring you somebody who I haven't been aware of in the past due to my own sheltered kind of life in a bubble. So really excited to bring um, Dr. Dora Papadopoulou up on the show. Uh, Going to be focusing very much on sports related uh, groin issues. And as always, people in the live lounge have been coming through. If you would like to ask questions directly to the guests, then you can type it in the comments. And when you do type in the comments, I can bring your message up on the screen. For example, like now, Penny from Soma Sports Massage Therapies in the house and says, hola, we've got a Spanish thing. Hola, Penny. Como estas? Penny's in the house. Glenn Murphy has come through. Um, Glenn is saying, hi, Glenn. How are you? Matt, we will have to stop meeting like this. People will talk. Thanks, Glenn. That's great. You always second or third through the door. It's wonderful. And other people are coming in the live lounge. If you are in the live lounge and you want to ask questions, then do please just fire away. I've told Dora that she's welcome to interrupt me um, and herself if she sees a great question in the live lounge. So do just take this opportunity. Um, such a great opportunity to talk to one of the leading um, consultants with everything to do with uh, hip and groin. So I think that is all of the information you need out of the way. So um, I think now it's time to bring up Oh, and other people coming to the lounge. Wonderful. Hey, Becky. I was wondering where you were, Becky. Great to see you. So now I shall bring up, without further ado, Dr. Dora Papadopoulou. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Dora Papadopoulou. I'm so impressed with myself. I'm getting your name well, aren't I? I've, I've said it six times and not one mistake. Is that right? I'm more impressed than, than uh, you are, Matt. Um, <laughs> thank you so very much. First of all, uh, good afternoon, good morning. I don't know where people there are listening from the world. Um, thank you for the kind invitation. It's a great, great pleasure to be um, to be here with you today. Um, I ask people to just, um, you know, ask questions. But if you feel that you don't want to send the questions in the chat, uh, feel free to email me, find me on uh, Twitter, I'm quite active over there, and just ask questions. 
what I always say, just use me. Use this 25 years of experience and um, I'm here to support. I'm, I love supporting young people and, you know, uh, so I'm here to do this. That's fantastic. If people listen to the podcast, um, the energy in the room at the moment, you've got so much energy. It's fantastic. It's, it's infectious. But yes, um, on Twitter, very active. Um, definitely worth uh, following at Dora, which is D-O-R-A underscore sport med. Um, I don't know how you find time to share things on Twitter as well as, I mean, when I first contacted you, you were between flights or something. I can tell there was an urgency, like I'm about to board after. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to hear from her again. But um, you were there, like as soon as you landed, you were messaging me. So where were you? You've just come back from um, a big meeting abroad, haven't you? Yeah, um, I have a big meeting. And uh, I mean, it's um, my life is about meetings, all the nights, the, the meeting and growing meetings, human and growing meetings and all that. We'll talk about this. So let us start so, to, to share with people what I learned over the years. So today we'll talk about um, growing related injuries. And um, when I talk to people and colleagues and say, come and work with us, it's, the answer is no, 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 you know. Growing is very complex, it's very difficult. I don't want to work growing. Uh, and it's not. But um, to be honest, yes, it is a complex pathology. Why people they are frightening? Uh, it is an extremely complex uh, anatomy. Let us, uh, let us uh, say this. There are many mixed and coexisting pathological conditions, and this is happening all the time with growing. Um, something really difficult, again, is that the clinical and diagnostic findings in growing are not always in harmony. And this is another problem. You know, when you have a fracture, you x-ray uh, the person or an MRI, you will see the fracture with growing injuries is not the case. And something very important, we talk about um, the pelvis here and we have all large force produce, producing muscles there. We have many muscular force dispersal um, across the pelvic bone. And this it's a lot of interactions, many muscles, many tendons with deep incisors interacting. And these forces play important role. Um, and, um, and some people, they maybe had an injury to their abdomen and then we will see the, the pain in the adductor and the other way around. And I forgot to say that, um, you know, today's lecture is the timing was great because Sarah Rollins talked about the abdominal wall, which is, it was a great lecture, as you said. And then today I will talk about the classification, what we should know about the groin. We'll talk about anatomy. I'm not going to talk about treatment because then, uh, Benoit, Matthew, we'll talk about treatment uh, next week. So it's a very good flow. Uh, but if you have questions about treatment, ask me. Maybe we can talk about a little, a little bit about surgical treatment. Um, so yes, um, it is a complex. And if all what I told you is not enough, we have a complex nerve supply that causing referral pain there. And this is another. Uh, issue we have to think about always. We have many nerves playing an uh, important role, um, like iliovinal nerve, dental nerve, um, uh, hypogastric. And this is the reason that lately we work um, also when we, um, we treat or for diagnostic reasons, we start to do uh, blocks in this um, area as well, and they work very well. So if it wasn't complex enough, we have a complex uh, nerve supply. So we're going to talk about anatomy, uh, a bit of diagnosis in acute and long-standing growing pain, a bit of epidemiology, and then uh, in general, the principles. I will talk to you about something very important, and this very important thing is the DOH agreement um, in terminology. And the reason I'm going to talk about this because it's a very important step on how to simplify what we thought that is complex. The DOH agreement uh, uh, purpose was to highlight those entities we're going to talk later uh, involved in growing pain um, in order to have focused treatment and be able to compare the results in clinical studies instead of 
calling everything growing pain, or instead of using fancy terms causing confusion in communication between us when you refer patients to me, the other way around, the communication with patients. So um, let us start with uh, a bit of anatomy. I always say that if you have to learn one thing in the groin, please know well your adductors and know well your adductor longus. Why? Uh, the adductor longus is uh, play important role. Uh, easy to palpate, very superficial uh, tendon, which comes up, uh, crossover, uh, gives superficial uh, uh, fibers over to the abdominal wall. And this is the connection. And in the abdominal wall, we have the external ring where we can uh, check for, for hernias and all that. So an important thing is, talking about these forces, is to remember that these muscles are not sitting in front of the pubic bone like loosely. Um, the superficial fibers do pass over, goes up, and also uh, not to forget that in front of the pubic bone we have the pyramidalis tendon. So remember that these muscles, they have strong connections, large incisions in the pubic bone, and this is, uh, and, and they uh, produce the force, um, um, they, um, sorry, the, uh, the force producing muscles. So in front of the pubic bone, we have the rectus abdominis, we have uh, the pyramidalis, uh, a concept that we, uh, a very important muscle tendon we are going to talk about. Not all of people know about this, but plays important role. And then the adductor longus. <clears throat> um, so remember from this that we have these strong connections between the pyramidalis, uh, the adductor longus via the anterior pubic ligament. Here I would like to uh, tell you about the plaque complex. I don't know how many of you have heard about the uh, plaque complex, but uh, thanks to Professor Silders, uh, the last maybe 10 years, we know about uh, this anatomical concept with the pyramidalis anterior pubic ligament adductor longus complex and the role that plays in the um, adductor injuries. So 10 years ago, it would be very difficult to diagnose such an injury. The last uh, few years, I see them more and more and more. So this is probably something new for, for, uh, for the listeners today. So what we, remember, we have to remember of this anatomy uh, roundup, many superficial interconnections, large muscles, rectus abdominis, adductor longus, and large incisions that play a um, role in this searing and dispersal forces between um, the groin and the abdomen, and do not ignore the pyramidalis and plaque complex. And if you have questions about this, ask me and I will send you all the links because you can, you can read as much as, as you want. Another very important structure, and I know that people talk a lot about iliosoas. We receive so many referrals about iliosoas issues, but you know it's overlooked a bit. Is uh, the iliosoas, which are comprised from iliacus and the psoas major. So the psoas major distally um, has a tendinous incision with a very small, uh, small fatty cleft in between. And then the iliacus muscle, which is very important muscle, but people, they don't talk about it, has a muscular incision with a small intramuscular tendon. Now, when we have an injury to uh, the iliopsoas, quite often we have injury proximal and distally to the um, iliacus as well. So think about this every time you have an, an iliopsoas um, injury. Another very important structure, and uh, probably it's more important when we talk about acute groin injuries, is the rectus femoris. Um, and the rectus femoris has two incisions, incisions proximally, the direct tendon, which inserts in the anterior, anterior, inferior iliac spine, and then the indirect tendon inserts in the acetabulum ring. It's a very long tendon. It's two-thirds of the length. <clears throat> and remember about rectus femoris when we talk about 
um, the acute growing um, uh, injuries. Now, listening to me, I know that I can talk for England. Um, <laughs> uh, you say you came here to simplify these things, but you make them right. Um, yes, and this was identified many years ago from uh, a fantastic group of people from Professor Per Holm, Adam Weir, and uh, in their group, um, 10 years ago, they look at this and um, they looked at the terminology and the definitions of growing pain and they said, well, we need to, to, to simplify things here. They started, uh, they started a study, a Delphi study, and what they did, a very clever thing, so they had a single patient with a single diagnosis and they sent this pathology or issue to 23 experts from around the world that they were uh, growing. And they asked for the diagnosis. So all these 23 experts, they came back with 22 different diagnoses for one single um, condition. And what that says, you know, are we going, are we saying the same thing in a different way, using different uh, words? And is this makes a difference? Well, if you have a patient who is coming to you, then will come to me for a second opinion, for third opinion, fifth opinion. Can you imagine what that means for a patient who is in pain, who his or her career is in, you know, in jeopardy at the moment, and they will go, the elite athletes, they will go to 10 different doctors and they will take, or physiotherapists and, and therapists will take 10 different diagnoses, what we are causing as a clinicians to this person. But it's not only because I say this and because, you know, uh, Per was clever, it's because there is evidence behind it. There are many studies, there are systematic reviews out there, uh, saying that words do matter, and um, they had a review in different terminology on same conditions, and we know that this they, they influence the management. So, following this, um, we realized that this heterogeneous taxonomy of these growing injuries in athletes will add even more confusion in what it was already a complicated area. So um, Perry and Adam and, and, and a big group of people, uh, they created um, this first uh, world conference on growing pain in athletes. And they invited these 23 people in Doha 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago, um, to, to talk about um, an agreement. Can we come in an agreement? I was um, quite privileged and uh, lucky that I was there. Uh, in this uh, meeting, and um, it was massive inspiration for me. And since then, things are so so much easier for me. I wasn't one of those uh, clever people. I just attended the, the meeting and, and the conference. So what they did, um, they sat together, it was massive uh, discussions, and they came with uh, what we all know, the DOC agreement meeting the terminology and definitions in growing pain in athletes. And this all it was a massive um, momentum occasion. Everything changed since then. And all this is published in BGSM and it's uh, free to, and uh, I can send the links again, free to read. If you're not familiar, please do. So the classification to make things easier was what we call it the DOCA consensus um, classification system. And they came up with this idea how to simplify, uh, simplify things. And um, they defined four clinical entities. And this is the adductor-related growing pain, the iliosos-related growing pain, the inguinal-related growing pain, and public-related growing pain. It's a fantastic picture in a nutshell from Vicky Earl. You can find it online, of course, and have it in your office. It's so easy. Of course, we should never, never, never forget the hip-related growing pain um, injuries. And, and be careful here, please. I, the last few years, I see more and more and more stress fractures. And these people, hip stress fractures, and these people, they will also present with growing pain. So there are other pathologies, of course, they are hip-related that can cause 
other causes, red flags always, but also think about opsangaini, think about urology, think about um, andrology, um, gastrointestinal, so many other causes out there, and the neural um, issues that we um, talked earlier. So what it is, uh, why, it's, why it's easy for you to then use this system? Because we have a clinical examination-based uh, classification system. So you have the defined clinical entities, and you have a standardized way of you know, examining. And you will not miss things because you connect um, all this together. It's another nice picture, you can find it. Um, related to the clinical findings of, uh, of these um, entities. So if we talk about iliosource-related groin um, pain, uh, most likely we will have tenderness in around the iliosource. Uh, we'll have pain in unresisted uh, hip flexion. We will have pain on stretching of the hip uh, flexors. And this is what uh, denotes that the Doha... Um, group felt that these tests were more likely, if they're positive, to rule in the pathology. And I'm so sorry that we cannot show people the pictures, but um, you know, hopefully um, they will get the idea and then go and, and look at it. With adductor-related growing pain, we have adductor tenderness. Um, they have pain the, on the resisted um, um, adduction. With ileinguinal uh, growing pain, we have ileinguinal um, uh, canal tenderness. We have pain in the um, in the canal. We have no palpable hernia because then not with the ileinguinal um, related growing pain, it will be hernia, and it's this is not it's a totally different thing. We will have pain the resisted uh, resistant testing of the abdominal uh, muscles. Um, and they will have pain with valsava, coughs, knees, um, um, increasing the, uh, the, the uh, abdominal pressure. And the pubic-related uh, growing pain, they will have pain, uh, local tenderness on the pubic symphysis and the immediate, uh, immediately adjusting bone. We don't have particular tests there, but I think that is quite easy to, to diagnose. Something else with uh, inguinal-related groin pain. Um, people, the athletes, will have pain close to the pubic tubercle. And also with some very nice picture from uh, Franklin Miller in British Dental Sports and Exercise Medicine 2009 um, with um, the with, um, uh, pubic clock. It's a really nice uh, picture as well. So the patients, they can point out around the public tubercle. Um, and they will say, most of them, it's, it's very interesting, most of them, they will come and it's like they've read the book. The symptoms are worsening with kicking, twisting, sneezing, or by getting in and out of the car. But it's so, so easy when they present with these um, symptoms. Um, the surgeons they looked at it, and um, we know that we know that the pain for the inguinal red growing pain it doesn't arise from it's not a hernia there. Sometimes it will arise from the, the, the ligaments, and there are different tendons and ligaments there, like the doctor, the pectineus, the lacunar ligament, uh, inguinal ligament, the conjoint uh, tendon, and this is indirect to see attachment. This is what we call the pubic growth I told you earlier, and again check if the pain arising from these uh, specific ligaments. And when you um, request ultrasound, if you cannot perform your ultrasound, uh, put this information down. Because the, 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 um, um, the consultant radiologist, if they are not clinicians, they will not know this information. So the DOHA classification, I would use it a lot for, um, for chronic uh, growing pain. We talk about acute. Um, so there's the acute onset, which is uh, different. So some little diagnostic tips. Uh, there is a lot of work from Andreas Erner. Andreas is an amazing um, sports physiotherapist who did his um, 
um, PhD in groin, acute groin injuries in Aspatari in Qatar, and now he's working for FIFA. So only if you put his name, you will find a massive amount of information, and you can find a link to his thesis talking about acute injuries. So you can find a lot of stuff there. Andreas with um, Adam Weir and um, and Professor Thorberg and Per Holmich and a few other people from Aspetar uh, looked at groin injuries in Aspetar clinic. So they had a nice clinic there because they, they work um, a lot with elite athletes. The people will walk in the clinic after injuries straight away. So they had 110 people uh, walking um, in this clinic with um, groin-related injuries. And they did a prospective study in, for the diagnosis of the acute injuries. What they found, what we said already, football is the main, um, the main um, sport that we, we see these injuries. Kicking was at 40% the mechanism of the injury. The sports that they're not, it is not kicking, uh, change of direction uh, sports uh, are uh, 30 plus percent. 25%, like quarter of them, were negative imaging. And we know this. Two-thirds of them, which uh, makes a massive amount, was adductor-related. Guess what? From the adductor-related, 90% was adductor longness. And this is what I told you in the beginning. You know, know your adductor longness. One-third of them hip flexors, so 50% uh, percent rectus femoris and I read um, something the other day. Um, I can't remember the paper now, but it said something like it was a summary that in 90% of groin related issues, there's likely three or more different issues going on. So, for example, it's not just one. Is that something that you've come across? Maybe that's why you get such different diagnoses, because they might be isolating one of them when actually there's two other things that have happened. Exactly. And and this is something we always mention. You know, it's not great to say the best. I know everything. I'm very experienced. No, you don't know everything. Isn't it? And many times I explain exactly this to, to, to our patients, uh, that, you know, you can, you can have more than one thing. Like, Two hours ago, um, I worked with a fantastic physiotherapist, very high level, very experienced, uh, with growing and, and she texted me, she emailed me to discuss about a patient and it's like, you know, like doctor related, it's both. In, in this case, it's both. And, you know, um, you can have inguinal related growing pain and you have a doctor related growing pain. And you can see this clinically and diagnostically. So most of the times, we have uh, more than one entity. And the other thing is that, um, again, in, uh, in, in my last group, I had a patient who had one related point pain, definitely 100%. This is how he's presenting. The, you had, we had the MRI, and the MRI had camophology, had uh, labrum tests, but he wasn't symptomatic for this. It was an incidental finding. So... You know, we treat patients, we don't treat the, the, um, the scans, isn't it? But it's something we see quite often. So two things. One, more than one entity can be present there, and that the diagnostic findings are not in harmony with uh, the clinical findings. I wonder, whether, I wonder whether the reason there's often two or three things uncovered, there's a comment here made by Becky who says, um, I find that when a groin injury comes into clinic, it's usually rather chronic. I assume it's mainly due to the patient being embarrassed about the location of the injury. So maybe that's why they've had something go on. They ignore it, keep playing, something else happens. And eventually when they can't open their leg or walk properly or run, then that's when we get to see them. Maybe that's something to do with the location, which you mentioned in the beginning. Becky, you are absolutely right. And um I have seen and I see all the time uh, in my clinic um, testicular pain and perianal pain. And, um, you know, these patients will come to me. And what do you do? Uh, you have to examine them. You just explain that, you know, um, there's no embarrassment. This is what we do. And this is the, the cohort. These are the patients we see all the time. You can relax them. You can break the ice and then they feel more comfortable, of course. Uh, but, you know, remember about all these things because what you do about this, the singular pain, 
which wouldn't be a particular pain. It's not always growing pain. So yes, they're coming late, but also because the years before we didn't have, now we have more knowledge, we know more. The years before we didn't know much. Um, and, you know, to me, they're coming quite late. Sometimes they will come for third opinion or fourth opinion and this late, but with chronic, uh, even with chronic um, uh, injuries, with the doctor injuries, let's say, um, we have very good results with uh, conservative treatment. It's just a bit more different with acute treatment. You have to uh, insist, you have to be, uh, you know, um, religiously follow this program. You have to wait for good four months. And when they live here, we create the program for them. When they live here, we just give this as a challenge and uh, like homework. We say, we've done what we've done. So now we check your parameters. When you come back, come and prove us wrong. Uh, you know, uh, so this is, uh, but we have still with, with chronic injuries, we still have very good results. So maybe like, because I mean, we've got a lot of listeners who are uh, sports rehab, they're graduate and they've done degrees in sports therapy. And we've also got sports massage therapists, but often we're the first port of call because when people are in pain, they tend to go to their local sports kind of um, therapist or something. But maybe because I'm thinking this area is designed, like you said, particularly kind of the adductor complex to, to deal with fantastic forces. I mean, it should in theory be a, an example of how amazing the body is constructed to transfer these, these forces from, you know, proximal distally. And yet we're seeing about 5% of sporting injuries related to the groin. So I'm thinking, hold on, why is this area, which is so strong, got quite a high incidence of injuries? And maybe it is because of this education where people just think, oh, it'd be all right, just give it a rub. So what are some of the flags? If we are educating our patients, what should we say to them in order to get them in earlier so they're not presenting with like three different things going on at the same time, which is going to take longer to rehab or even require surgery or something? So yeah, how can we get them earlier on? Um, so I think that um, what we discuss now, if if you keep it in your mind, oh, okay. issues, but um, we say that we see strong patients and, and, and all that, you know, the athletes are very strong. What we found over the years, and I was so impressed, people are coming and they say, yeah, I'm very strong. I have this injury here in my groin. And then we take their abdominals and they're so weak. When you ask them, what have you done for your, you know, uh, core and abdominals? But my injury is not there. My injury is in the groin. Why I should... They're also weak. If you have weak abdominal wall, you will have these injuries. Um, and people, they, they, they cannot connect it. And uh, this is something, something again, uh, to remember. And when you're saying weak abdomen, because I imagine, I'm thinking of these guys like hockey players, football players, they're probably doing an incredible amount of crunches. So we're not just talking about the vectors abdominis, we're talking about kind of more of the structures in the abdomen to strengthen. So what whereabouts are they weak, do you think? What should they be doing that they're not doing? We, uh, we see more runners, um, uh, but probably when they start uh, their rehabilitation, they focus to the lower body instead, okay. you know, uh, and, and control the pelvis. Right. Pelvic control is not great and you need this. Mm-hmm. these injuries so these are two two things <clears throat> so the traditional lying down doing crunches which i know a lot of these people will be doing hundreds of they're probably missing the proper strengthening exercises maybe they should be doing and yeah, yeah. And, interesting um, and also they need time so these people they're bust yeah and uh, they want to go fast it's not you um, another, another good study looked at the acute growing injuries in the adductor muscles with an MRI, uh, study in athletes. Again, they found that, um, we had proximal injuries, 26%. From these proximal injuries, again, 75% is a complete rupture. And I want to say this because we have really, really many ruptures, complete ruptures, and people, they don't think about this. We do have. 30% intramuscular, proximal tendon, and then 37% in the, in the distal tendon. Um, what else is important? Right. 
I, I discussed earlier about standardized clinical trials. And um, in my early years, I was like, I have the, the knowledge, I examined, this is the test for this, um, for this pathology. No. The last 10 years, what I do, 10, 15 years, I have standardized clinical examination. And we share this template with, uh, with the whole team. So I don't have to examine. Physiotherapists will examine. Sports therapists will examine. And I just look at their eyes and I know what they're doing. And the other way around, I can, I can, and I can examine and they understand. Because we have this standardized clinical examination. Uh, and we know, again, from evidence that uh, such examination can predict the present, uh, the presence of an ad- of uh, groin injuries better, um, and the location better of an MRI. Um, an MRI um, would do not for everything, but we know from um, again another study. I think was address Center again study and Adam uh, and Per Um So they found out for the adductus you can. Uh, the clinical examination can identify the injuries, and this has positive predictive value, uh, 93 to 97%. And the other way around, the lack of pain on the palpation can rule them out, and this has negative predictive value, 91 96%. So if a patient will come, the athlete will come and say, you know, I have this massive injury and, and this and that, and then you examine them, there's no pain there. It's negative uh, predictive value. So, you know, it's very important and it's a very good study as well. And, you know, um, you don't need an MRI. Um, epidemiology wise, um, if we see why we say no, you're a ductus, uh, there are studies from Werner uh, with comparison 2019, 2018. Uh, he looked at the groin injuries and then it was 64% um, with 10 years different for adductor-related groin pain, about 10% iliosos-related groin pain, 4% inguinal-related uh, groin pain, and 5% hip-related groin pain. And this is stable, like 10 years uh, difference in BDSM is published as well, um, you know, the same. Then Professor Holmick did another study in 2013, and again, high adductor-related groin pain, 30% iliosos, 90% inguinal-related. And more recently, again, Andrea Sedner published something in the American Journal of Sports Medicine for the clinical diagnosis of acute injuries. And again, 66% adductor-related groin pain, uh, 25% iliosos-related groin pain, 10% rectus femoris, 20-plus abdominal, and then 6% sartorius. So that's why I just insist about uh, your adductors. And I think it's, it's, it's really important to, um, to know that. Uh, in terms of treatment, Ben will talk about, um, about treatment next week. Uh, but uh, for the acute groin pain, for the adductors, I use a fantastic protocol. So honestly, you can go and download it uh, from Aspetar. They have a fantastic, fantastic um, protocol. Then you can look at it. So I don't have to go through the phases. It's all four phases, one by one, step one, step two. Um, go and look at it. It's great. And for the um, for the um, chronic adaptive related uh, growing pain, I I will use the um, Professor Holm uh, protocol again. And this was, uh, it's interesting, right? But I mean, he's one of the experts of the experts in the world. And I'm really, really grateful and privileged and honored to work with, with him and with a parent, Christian Thorburg, and all this, you know, this group of people. Uh, so a pair back in 1999 published in Lancet, um, the multimodal treatment, um, um, the, the, the parent, uh, sorry, um, protocol and um, this is what I use and to be honest um, 25 years down the line it does work it still works it works very well 
um, there's a secret there. So for this protocol, there's some important elements and the important elements is many repetitions. We want at least eight to 12 weeks, I would say, three times weekly, at least 90 minutes duration. Uh, exacerbation of the pain and all that we know. Um, and Per says that if, uh, if there's no pain, uh, they can return to run in three weeks. Now we see good results in four months. And that's why I say to my patients, follow religiously this protocol if you want to get better. And they're getting better. And, and this is fantastic. Um, then with the doctors, and I will, I will let, I will let Ben to talk about it, uh, next week, but Ben will talk about, uh, obviously the conservative treatment, which I am the biggest fan. It doesn't matter that I'm surgeon, I'm born to be surgeon, I trained thousand years to be a surgeon, I love operating, but you know, you need to have evidence for everything here today. And um, what other treatments? Let's talk about surgical treatments because you know I'm the person to talk um, about it. Um, um, so I go for a ductotenotomy. It does work, you know. When will pass the button to, to the to the to the knife? When everything else fails, and also you know, people they will come to you and say, "Oh, I've done everything." Okay, what do you have done? Most of the people, they will say, I've done a lot of physiotherapy. When you see their program, it's not going to be suited. So you start from scratch. Um, so a tenotomy, it does work. And there is evidence out there. And again, um, there was um, a publication in Lancet, again, from Perry Holmick. He looked at uh, level four studies um, and he... He, he had really good results, like 54 to 75% positive, ex, excellent, excellent results. Uh, poor results, only 8 to 15, I think. And just a very little complications, 5 to five to 30 maybe. But he had the, the other group, the active exercise program group. And the results there were excellent, 80%, really, you know, massive number poor three and obviously there's no complication with it. you cannot have complications isn't it um and then uh, what he did he looked at this many many years later um and uh, i think 12 years later uh what happened with this adaptotenotomies and uh, with this follow-up and he found out there was significant significantly better results with the active exercise uh, group, much better with soccer players. And, and what that says, that exercise works. Mm -hmm. Could you explain the procedure you're talking about to give the listeners an idea of, of the surgical procedure? What is, what is it you're doing with this? It's just a, a simple tenotomy. You're not, it's not a complicated... Uh, oh, it would be for us. It would be for me. Believe me, I can hardly cut chicken yeah. without it falling off the plate so yeah what do you do what do, what is it what's involved so we go through procedures at the end because i have some few more procedures to talk about. okay yeah yeah with everything and then we go through the okay yeah mm -hmm. um now uh ESOS related and now something it's interesting for you because um a lot of times you will ask me or you will send patients for um injections I know all my ERIs, all the uh, therapists, they were can we inject, can we inject, can we inject, eosinophils. And I'm like, um, I hate injections, but when I have to inject, I will inject, of course. But for eosinophils, um, I, I don't like the injections. The only reason I would throw steroid there, it's only for rehab. Purposes. So if the people um, will find it difficult to follow the strengthening uh, exercise program and they're so symptomatic and then we cannot rehabilitate them, it's the only reason to inject. Right? And 
and of course always um, ultrasound guided related um, injections, not blindly, doesn't matter how um, how much experience you have. Uh, this to be done from particular people that they have experience and it's it's not a bad thing to say I don't have experience or I'm not good. If you ask me about solder today, I'm the worst person to talk to you about solder. So I'm not good. I will send you to someone else to talk about this. Um, tenotomy, you don't touch the iliosol. Don't cut them. I know that many orthopedic surgeons will will um, uh, will um, operate on iliosols, but this is a surgical procedure we do after sometimes hip replacement and and uh, for other reasons. So iliosols. We don't inject. If we inject, we will inject only for rehabilitation purposes and because for these people to continue the strengthening work. Why? Because we know that strengthening the hip flexors um, will give you about 7% of strength improvement in six months. Because it's not something I'm saying. Uh, this is another... Um, another fantastic study like five years ago, I think, from um, Christian Thorberg et al. Um, so why, why you operate? Uh, Inguinal-related groin pain now. Um, again, we talked about abdominals, strengthening the abdominals, uh, strengthening um, all the muscles and work on balance and coordination around the pelvis. But again, uh, Ben will talk about this um, uh, next week. When we operate, you have heard um, um, terminology like groin disruption and stuff like this. There are some procedures um, when we talk about um, um, surgical procedures. So several, there are many. Uh, but again, when every conservative treatment fails to improve, then you go. The procedure, these procedures are mainly tensioning and detensioning. So one of the procedures is the eponymous procedure from Professor Lloyd's, um, and it calls Lloyd's uh, inguinal ligament release. Uh, so what Professor, now we talk about procedures, what Professor Lloyd uh, likes to do, he, he operates on players mainly. Uh, with the scope, he will access the inguinal and the uh, lacunar ligament, and he will go to look at tears and, and inflammation. Then he will go to the pectineal ligament, and then will release this ligament if this is under tension. So this is the detensioning technique. So he says that the tension in these ligaments can cause this pain and the inflammation and the tears around these very, very, very tiny ligaments, but play a massive role, looks like. So, so what does that mean when, when a surgeon's releasing? Because a lot of soft tissue therapists use the word release as in like relax the nervous system down. But what are you saying? Well, how does a surgeon release a ligament? You, you, you just you you detensor, you cut the ligament, you just release it surgically. Oh really? I'm not, okay. I'm not a massive fan of this procedure. But doesn't that ligament need to be kind of forget my forgive my ignorance, but doesn't cutting a ligament kind of defeat its function? Everything is there, um, yeah. should stay there, isn't it? Yeah. So then um then uh he will um apply a mess and then what he does the patients, the athletes, they can stretch in 40, 24 hours and they can go in one week to play. And this is, as you know, you know, a football player, elite football player, they have the pressure to go back. And, and this is one of very famous procedures in the past. I didn't have, I don't have many patients that they had this procedure, but those people, they had it, had good outcomes. If I, if you ask me if I am fun, um, I cannot tell um, because we know that anecdotally we have good results, but there is not massive 
published evidence and we need this published evidence. On the other hand, we had another fantastic uh, procedure um, when we are struggling with people who think there's immunological disruption there. Um, I work very, um, very close with Professor Alicine. Uh, Professor Alicine is in Manchester and he worked many, many years around um, growing um, and in vinyl related um, surgeries. So this is a very specific procedure as well. Um, it's the MDR, the Manchester Growing Repair. Uh, it's a modification of, of uh, tech repair, So, but essentially what uh, is the difference, he will use a larger mess, about uh, 12 centimeters, and he will place this mess um, with automatic way, automatic fixations, and what he does is he will ensure that this mess will cover at, three, at least three centimeters below the Cooper's ligament. Please, big crawl. I cannot tell you why, but um, all the patients I had from Professor Sin, they had amazing, amazing outcomes, really good outcomes. The secret for this is they come first to us, we strengthen, we give them the strengthens, we uh, we, they have this, what we call it, prehab. They will have their habilitation. Four months later, they will come, and then we would feel that maybe, um, you know, we cannot improve them uh, more. Uh, and we'll start the prehab, so they're going really, really strong to have the procedure. And once they have the procedure, they will start an early rehab, and then they will come back to us to have um, advanced rehabilitation and then they're going back home for three months. And so far, I have seen amazing. So this procedure is a mesh, yeah? They put a mesh underneath. Yeah, in both procedures, you have to put, you have to, okay. Most of the people, they will put mesh because you have to support achromatic mesh because you have to support this abdominal wall. And these people are athletes, so you have to support somehow. So the mesh is an artificial way of providing extra support yeah, and that stays yeah. there. And and yeah, yeah. and then and then stays there. You, mm. you don't like it. Mm. And the reason I'm saying this is that um, this can cause problems. So if we find out in the future some of them nerve complications is one of the complications we don't want to see mm. because then you cannot move it. You. Of course, you can remove the mess, but it's it's not a good idea. So we right. try not to, and then we start working with neuropathic medication. It's 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 a it's a not a great complication to, for someone to have. But um, uh, Professor Alicin is doing this for many years, and he has a lot of um, a lot massive amount of publication on this. So the evidence it is there, and also. Himself, he is one of the people that they are fan of the conservative treatment as well, and and you know he will not jump for because as surgeons, what we know to do is operate. So we will jump to operate. The new uh, the new generation of surgeons they don't do this, but also they have extra knowledge. And thanks God, all the work we are doing. Um, it's an interdisciplinary work. So at the moment, and then I'll come back after summer, we are working with the um, uh, European Society of uh, Sports Dramatology and Arthroscopy. Um, I'm, I'm, again, privileged and uh, really honoured to work with this um, another 15 experts, uh, growing experts from around the world, and um, we're working on a growing consensus uh, right now, we're working now about eight months, but still a long way to go. Um, so we will we bring you uh, new evidence. What I want to say, we know more in this group, and in every group I work for consensuses and Delphi studies and and, and studies, and we have um, we have exercise instructors, we have physiotherapists, we have. Um, Radiologists, we have surgeons, we have sports and exercise medicine consultants, and you know it's eye opener. It's eye opener for the for the 
for the non-clinicians, uh, for, uh, for the radiologists, for example, the other way around. Um, so we know more nowadays. Um, so we don't jump straight um, into conclusions. We don't jump straight into surgical uh, procedures. In another surgical procedure, again, not to forget because not many people know about this, when we have plaque injuries, the injury we mentioned before, we know that um, pyramidalis muscle plays important role in factor uh, injuries. Uh, the six type of injuries depend on the injury. You can work hard again um, uh, with um, conservative treatment and uh, rehabilitation, but it's, you know, if you cannot achieve uh, what you want, then it's the surgical procedure. And for this procedure, of course, I should, um, I, I suggest uh, um, people to get opinion from Professor Ernest Silders, who is the person who, you know, discovered this uh, complex. And he is the guru, he knows a lot about these injuries and how to operate. He's an orthopedic surgeon, very well known internationally. Fantastic. It'll be interesting next week when we talk to Benoit Matthew about treatments and it, we've had a magnificent in, um, overview of when surgical procedure can help with rehab, but it'll be interesting to hear what we can do to stop it from getting to the stage where surgery is needed. A lot of the examples you've used of surgery in the mesh, it was mesh, by the way, Penny, mesh is the word. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it often like an elite athlete, like somebody who's got to return to playing who have these procedures done or are these done also on general public and people who... Have... No. Not only, but uh, you know, with with these uh, people because they they want to to, to come back to, to play, um, but the general population of, obviously because uh, nowadays we all training, isn't it? It's not like what it was twenty years ago. Everyone is an athlete, well, it should be. Yeah, this is a problem sometimes because if you're in your forties and you've been an athlete in young age and you then go to uh, play football only the weekend. This is when you kick the ball, you will receive this. You you will um, have this uh, kind of injury, adductor related or equinal related um, injury. I'm interested uh, as well um, because sometimes groin injuries, particularly as athletes, are badly educated, and that's a lot of the work you're doing on in trying to simplify it and standardize it, which is amazing. But it's sometimes. Uh, maybe because they're putting up with it and not getting attended to, you can reach life-threatening situations with certain complications. Have you come across any of them, like bone infections or strangulation or stuff, intestinal strangulations that happen quite often? Absolutely. Or? Absolutely. I mean, uh, first of all, if you have an um, guinal related groin pain and something around the testicular area or something like this, it's different. Uh, if you have the experience, you can see it and, um, you can see it, you can find out uh, quite, um, it's a different presentation, but always if there is a little suspicion there, um, I will ask first for your logical uh, opinion, because this is a case where, you know, things can go wrong with the musculoskeletal um, point of view, what can go wrong, you know? Uh, so yes, we do, we do. And, um, with bone as well, you have to be very suspicious. Um, we see a lot of bone, stress bone uh, injuries and fractures, so you have to be careful there um, as well. And of course, as I said, sometimes it's different. Um, Obsangainis, the ladies with, I had a lady presented with a massive, uh, massive cyst in her ovaries, and it was like a growing pain. Mm -hmm. um, but you don't know what is the cyst, isn't it? So the cyst can cause, uh, you know, serious problem. Just a little. Just one of those important case histories, and 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 I'm sure we'll talk about it next week as well with Benoit. But if there's like nausea or vomiting or anything like this, like a systemic sign that something's going on, this is where because a lot of our listeners will be in that perfect place where they're the first point of call that it's outside of their scope. If they ask the right questions, they go, you say you're being sick. That doesn't sound right to me. You need to go and see so-and-so. Then you could save these people a lot of, Absolutely. yeah. Because we know that can be, um, as I said, obstetrical. It can be andrological, neurological, uh, gastrointestinal um, as well. 
Right, fantastic. Well, look, that was a quick hour. <laughs> that zoomed by. But yeah, amazing look at the, uh, once again, rather like um, uh, Dr. Rowlands last week, you're giving us such a good look at the anatomy and also when surgery is needed. Um, so it'll be really, like you said, it'll be a really nice flow next week when we talk to Benoit about what we can do for conservative measurements. Um, fantastic. Really cool. Um, yeah, time has beaten us. So we're going to, I think earlier on, Penny, I could hear your frustration or fear of, are we going to get all these links? I will make sure that, um, yeah, if you send me everything, we'll make sure they all go into the show notes. Um, Absolutely. And I could send you, um, yeah, I mean, two, two years ago, we had a fantastic uh, conference attended by 6,000 plus people with the British Association of Sports and Exercise Medicine, Amazing. Professor Holmith and uh, Adam Weir and me. Um, and I have the links of the entire oh, wow. conference dedicated and growing. I'm very happy to, to share this with you. So we're going to have some big show notes. Um, Penny said, I would love to have a template of that standardized clinical examination. This was going back to the adductor, wasn't it? Where where should we go for good ones? I wonder. Well, Penny, don't worry. We'll have a long list. Make an effort. I will send them. Thank you so much. And, and as um, we said at the beginning, it's very much worth following Dr. Dora Papadopoulou on social media, which is at Dora underscore sport med. That's D-O-R-A underscore sport med. Because you do manage to somehow, thankfully, put out some wonderful information as well. Of all the different types of work, we haven't touched on a lot of the other, not plates you're spinning because you're in total control, but a lot of the other pies you've got fingers in and to do with like diversity and, and all sorts of wonderful things going on. Um, I don't know how you find the time. But um, we try to bring more people from diverse backgrounds and women in um, the British Hip Society are doing fantastic work with these groups. And please, please, please bring uh, women and people from diversity in, you know, a bit from different backgrounds. And we're here to support uh, women are fantastic surgeons. Please be one of them. But having people like yourself and and Dr. Sarah Rowlands last week, I mean, it's amazing for us. We get fantastic feedback from our listeners just going, it's so nice to see, you know, examples of, of, of women, whether they're surgeons or anything, sports rehabilitators or something. But yeah, it's great. You, you guys really set a wonderful, um, you're inspirational for our listeners as well. So thank you for that as well, the job that you're doing. Right, people, I know um, it's now 9.03, so I'm going to say um, thank you. Um, Penny, I think, has summed up what all of us are thinking. Um, this needs a couple of more listens, Matt. Yeah, we definitely do. There's a lot of information there. I just let um, Dr. Dora Papadopoulou speak for the first 25 minutes because there is so much going on there. But So I agree with you, Penny. I'm going to listen to it back. I'm looking forward to it myself. Penny says, thank you, Dora, for sharing all your knowledge with us. Uh, Westbrook Wellness has also um, said, great to listen to you, Dora. All the best with your research. Maybe see you at Sparta again soon. What? Is this somebody who's done Spartathlon then? Who is ah, this? Westbrook Wellness? So, uh, yeah, I'm the doctor for the British Spartathlon team, and I do the, uh, the Spartathlon for about 15 years. It's just a simple race, wow. 148 kilometers. A simple race, 153 miles. <laughs> yeah. Seven hours running, so many, many injuries there. And, uh, yeah, um, it's, it's a fantastic place to be with marathons. What always makes me laugh about that, and I'm not sure if it's a myth, but obviously it's based on the run of Pheidippides, is it? Running from Pheidippides. Athens to Sparta what the, and, and on the Battle of Marathon to announce it and send the news. But what they don't seem to mention in that beautiful story is that shortly after managing this this two and a half or day and a half run, he died, didn't he? Um, he collapsed yeah. and died. Yeah, but they forget about yeah. that bit. They put a race in his memory, but they forget the fact that the original guy who did it. But um, now we do this and it's... Um, it's um, it's not commercial. It's very historical race. Oh, beautiful. And the yeah. team is probably the best team ever from 500 people and I don't know how many countries, 150 countries. So you there, you say you've been involved in it or the doctor for, for like 15, 10, 15 years and you're regularly there, are you? Yeah, just um, uh, last year, it was only two years I wasn't and this was because at the same time I was uh, I was involved with the International Federation of Sports Medicine. I was right, in those committees and was delivering lectures. Last year I was in Mexico. The year before I was in, uh, in another conference. And 
Yeah. Oh well, no, you can't be. Even you can't be everywhere at the same yeah, time. Yeah, but I'm there. I'm there um, uh, this September. Um, yeah, fantastic. Week. No, I'd love to go over there. I think we were talking off air. I'd love to go. I'm a big fan of Paphos. I'd love to go and do the marathon there, but it's in March sometime when it's there's no holidays. I've got two kids, but I love running in the heat and that'd be beautiful down as well. Yes, Penny, he did die. I'm sure I have to look it up. I'm not sure if it's just a joke, but I'm pretty sure that uh, yeah. the Dipodes did collapse and die after this magnificent day and a half run uh, to, to, yeah, to seek aid against the Persians. But anyway, let's not bring it down. Um, we'll keep it all happy here. But, so one wonderful once again then so thank you dr dora papadopoulou for joining us very kind of you giving up your time given that you're so busy i think i'm sensing we're gonna have to do a part two at some point because there's so much information there's so much which i'm sure you um would have loved to have shared as well so we'll hopefully do that but in the meantime uh, for people who are listening um you can follow um dora on twitter um next week on dora underscore sportmed next week we continue it'll be very much a follow-up to this with Benoit Matthew of Function to Fitness talking about treatment for groin injuries. And then the last week of this focus on abdomen and groin, we are going to have um, Jenny Bowell of Bowell Education really diving deep into diastasis recti, which um, Sarah had a, a look at last week. Uh, but that is Jenny's um, passion. And we're going to be looking at that, which will be a great episode as well. So um, it's going to be an incredible month. Um, so thank you very much. If you listen to the podcast and you feel that you'd like to actually join the live episode and have a chance to ask our guests questions directly and hang out with other like-minded soft tissue therapists in the live lounge, then all you need to do is go to the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. Like I say, next week with Benoit, it'll be a Wednesday. The week after it'll be a Tuesday. Um, but yeah, if you're free at eight o'clock, GMT plus one is where we are at the moment. Um, then then come along and join us um, and if not if you prefer the podcast that's great but do please leave us a review and a rating so that the good word of our guests get out gets out there further so once again thank you dr dora papadopoulou thank you everyone for joining us and hopefully we will see some of you live next week take care of each other. you're listening to the sports therapy association podcast putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy